If you have your Bibles this morning, I want to open to Matthew chapter 22. We're going to look there today. I want to begin this series of messages called Home Sweet Home. And these are going to deal with the fruit that every family tree should bear. See, imagine with me, what would your marriage be like? What would your kids be like? What would your spouse be like? What would you be like if the tree of your home and your heart bore the fruit of the Spirit? See, listen to what Paul says in Galatians 5.22. It says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now quite frankly, I, I wonder if some started bearing that kind of fruit in our life, it would, might make us a stranger in our own home. <laughs> but the Bible compares every Christian to a tree. And it's a tree that bears fruit. And we have been given two fruit-producing agents in our lives. Now one is Scripture. Psalms 1, starting with verse 2, says this, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. That is, if we read and study and meditate on the Word of God, the Word of God will bring forth fruit in our lives. But the other fruit-producing agent is the Spirit. See, Galatians 5 speaks about the fruit of the Spirit. And now there's a lot of interest today in the gifts of the Spirit. And people want to know, what is your particular spiritual gift? But there's not enough emphasis on the graces of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. And see, I find it interesting and informative that the metaphor that is used to describe the character that the Holy Spirit produces in us is fruit. But I think here's why. First, fruit is visible, right? Fruit can be seen, it can be smelled, it can be sampled. It's visible, it's tangible. It's also viable. See, a tree is known by what? It's known by its fruit, and the fruit reflects the character of the tree that produces it. I read a story about a little boy who used to get out of his bedroom anytime he wanted to because he would climb down an old fruit tree that stood right outside his window. Many times he would be banished to his room and punished and he would just escape by climbing down that tree and going out to play. Well, one day his father said that he was going to cut down the tree because it hadn't borne fruit for years. So that night, that little boy and his brothers went out, and they got a basket of apples, and under the cover of darkness, they climbed into that tree, and they began to tie that fruit on those unproductive branches. And the next morning, they waited for their father's response. And the dad came down and, and sat at the table and said, Mary, you're not going to believe this. That old fruit tree that's been barren for years is now covered with apples. It's just apples everywhere. And with a twinkle in his eye, he looked at his son and he said, you know, it's a miracle. And the little boy said, well, dad, why do you say that? And his dad said, well, because it's a pear tree. <laughs> See, fruit is also valuable. 
Fruit exists not for its own benefit, but for the benefit of others, right? Fruit is to be eaten. You, you know that the seed inside of the fruit is designed for reproduction because others are not only to taste it, but that same seed gets planted in the lives of other people. So understand that this fruit is not produced by us. It's produced in us. It's produced by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And also notice that fruit is singular, not plural. These aren't the fruits of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not like the gifts of the Spirit where different Christians have different gifts and, and no one Christian has all gifts. But here, all Christians are to bear the full fruit of the Spirit. Right? We are to all have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Fruit of the Spirit is not like an apple on a stem. It's more like grapes on a cluster. And it's never out of season. And notice the very first character, quality of this fruit is love. And I think that's because all of the other fruit flows out of love. And without love, none of the other fruit really matters. The first evidence that the Holy Spirit lives in you is not power or signs or wonders or speaking in tongues or anything like that. The first evidence is love. See, there is a, an upward love that must be emphasized. See, when you think about love, true love, real, biblical love, you should automatically think about the love of God and the love for God. That immediately should tell you something about love. First, love is not emotional. It's not a matter of feelings. Right? Someone described teenage love as the feeling you feel when you feel that what you feel is a feeling you have never felt before. <laughs> That's probably true as far as it goes. But love is not just a feeling. It's also not psychological, not just a matter of the mind. Right? Unlike that silly song that was sung years ago said, I think I love you. Well, if you only think you love me, you probably don't love me. Love is volitional. It's a matter of the will. Well, let me share with you this definition. Love is a commandment that is followed by a commitment. Hey, here's a good illustration. For thousands of years, and still in some eastern countries today, the majority of marriages were arranged by the parents. The young people involved sometimes never even saw each other until the wedding day. Well, there was a young lady that was to be married to a young man from India, and she had never met him. And one day she received this letter from her fiancé where he wanted to begin a relationship and get acquainted with her prior to the wedding. But the young woman, however, returned the letter unopened. And here's what she said. She believed love should be developed after marriage, not before. And this is why. She said, when you're born, you cannot choose your mother or father or brothers or sisters. Yet we learn to live with them and to love them. So it is with husband and wife. And you know, in the societies where this philosophy is accepted, divorce is almost non-existent. Now, now, I'm not suggesting in any way that we begin to practice arranged marriages. But the point is that romantic love has little to do 
with successful marriage. And love has little to do with feelings. I know love is not a feeling because you cannot command a feeling. And yet God commands us as his saints to love sinners. Friends to love foes. Husbands to love wives. Wives to love husbands. Parents to love children. Children to love parents. Love is not something you fall into. It's something you commit to. And now it's neither incidental or coincidental. But I think it's fundamental that love comes first in this list. Because the fruit of the Spirit only grows in the soil of love. Billy Graham once said, Love is the loveliest flower in the garden of God's grace. Well, Jesus tells us all that we need to know about love. Turn to our scripture this morning, Matthew 22. We're going to start with verse 35. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. See, Jesus is telling us that love has three dimensions. First, there is this upward love, and that must take priority. Our first love should be for God. God does not deserve part of our love. He doesn't deserve what's left over. He deserves all of it. We shouldn't love anybody like we love God. And when you see the way that Jesus said this, that we should love the Lord our God with all of our heart and soul and mind, it was simply a way of saying that our hearts should be on fire, burning with this passionate, blazing love for God. Dr. Vance Havner once said, the church has no greater need today than to fall in love with Jesus all over again. I mean, if you want to know whether the Holy Spirit lives in you, Here's the measurement. How much do you love God? How much do you really love God? And and I can tell you what will happen to you when you really, truly love God the way He ought to. When you love God the way you ought to, you will hunger for the Word of God. You will have this desire for the house of God to worship. You will have a passion for the people of God. There's also an outward love that will be exercised. See, the next step, Jesus goes on to say, you shall love your neighbor. If you love God, you can't help but love others. In 1 John 4, 7, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. See, it's important to understand what the Bible means by the word love. Remember, the New Testament was written in Greek, and Greek is a lot different than English. I mean, in English, we have one word for love, right? Love. And so we can use that in so many different ways. I can say, I love my wife, and I love homemade chocolate chip cookies, and I love the Michigan Wolverines. Now, when I say that, I hope you know that I don't love chocolate chip cookies nearly as much as I love Amy. And I don't love the Michigan Wolverines in the same way or as much as I love Amy. But the Greek, they have several words for love. First, they have eros. 
It's an erotic love that a man has for a woman. Then there's phileo. This gives us the English word philanthropy or the name Philadelphia. It's this warm kind of love that we have for friends and relatives. It's a brotherly love. Then there's the word storge. This means affection. It's a type of affection that a parent has for a child. But the word that's used here in Galatians 5 is agape. It's the highest form of love. Simply put, agape love is when you always seek the best, even for those who seek the worst for you. And that's why agape love is so different. See, the law says, what's mine is mine. I'll keep it. Lust says, what's yours is mine, and I'll take it. But love says, what's mine is yours, and I'll share it. That's why it's so important that this agape love control every other form of love. Because when brotherly love is controlled by agape love, jealousy, envy, strife are eliminated. When parental love is controlled by agape love, child abuse, disrespect for parents is eliminated. And all that sounds wonderful, doesn't it? But remember, outward love will not truly be exercised until the upward love is totally emphasized. The key to this fruit is in the root. Proverbs 12, 12. The root of the righteous yields fruit. And the root of all love is God, because God is love. I mean, love is actually this chain reaction. Right? Love is the spark that kindles the fires of compassion. Compassion is the fire that flames the candle of service. Service is the candle that ignites the torch of hope. Hope is the torch that lights the beacon of faith. Faith is the beacon that reflects the power of God. And God is the power that creates the miracle of love. See, when you love God most, that's when you begin to love others best. C.S. Lewis said, When I have learned to love God better than my earthly dearest, I shall love my earthly dearest better than I do now. Finally, he shows that there is this inward love to be energized. Jesus closes and he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. See, there's a difference between self-love and self-worship. And there's a lot of talk today about self-esteem, and and that's very important. But I'm convinced that when a person loves God the way they should, and they love others the way they ought to love others, then they will love themselves the way they should love themselves. See, if you get one thought in your mind, understand how wonderful you really are because of this. God loves you. And add to this strong truth. God doesn't love you because you're valuable. He doesn't love you because what you can offer or what you can do. You are valuable because God loves you. See, let me make this statement. I'm going to share the scripture that should settle your self-worth once and for all. Jesus died for you. It says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world, you, me, that he gave his one and only Son. And whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. A Swiss psychologist, Paul Tunier, once said, if a person will love God the way he ought to love God, 
He will then love others the way he ought to love others. And when he loves God and others the way they ought to be loved, he will not need a psychiatrist. (laughs) Henry Drummond once said, to love abundantly is to live abundantly. To love forever is to live forever. Hence, eternal life is inextricably bound with love. See, we want to live forever the same reason we want to live for tomorrow. Right? Why do you want to live for tomorrow? It's because there is someone who loves you and someone whom you love and you want to see tomorrow and be with. And that brings you back. Henry Drummond was right. If you're not loving, you're not living. But love begins and ends with God. There's a story of a 10-year-old Jewish boy in Germany in World War II. And he and his parents lived in this Polish village before they were rounded up and sentenced to death by gunfire. And they stood beside each other waiting for death, but somehow the bullets that killed the parents missed the boy. He fell with his father and mother and the other Jews in the ditch when the soldiers covered their bodies with dirt. Somehow oxygen reached the boy and he was able to breathe until nightfall. Then he clawed his way out of the tomb. And in the darkness, he made his way to the nearest house of a Gentile woman, and he begged for help. But the woman recognized him as one of the Jews marked for death and screamed at him and ordered him, go away, and slammed the door in his face. And he went to the next house and got the same response. And the next, and the next, and the next. And doors kept closing in his face. And finally, he went to the house of a woman who was a Christian. And she opened the door and she started to say the same thing until the boy said, don't you recognize me? He said, I'm the Jesus that you say you love. Well, after a pause, the woman in the doorway swept the boy into her arms, kissed him. And from that day on, he became a part of her family. See, do you really love Jesus? When you love Jesus, then you will love others. And you will love yourself. And when you are loving, you are truly living. When you love Jesus, you surrender your life and everything you have to him. So if you need to do that today, if you need to surrender your life to him, I invite you to come. Come down after service and talk to me. Or if you've already surrendered your life to Christ, if you are already one of his followers, then here's the next step. We need to show that love to others. We need to love our neighbor as ourselves, so that they will come to know God. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your love for us. You showed us your love through sending Jesus to earth to live and to die and then to rise from the grave for our sins. He came to save us through your love. So Lord, help us to show that same love to others so that they will see you in us and they will know how much you love them. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.